From the friendly frontier, this is Everything West Texas. This podcast is brought to you in part by Floyd Miller Investments and the West Texas Tribune. Hosted by the man himself, Mr. Floyd Miller. All the information conveyed during this show is intended to inform, educate, and resonate with integrity and credibility. We may make you laugh, we may even make you cry, but never will we speak out against you or about you. We want to speak with and for you because every voice deserves to be heard. The views and opinions expressed on this show are meant to stimulate, not offend, and we reserve the right to edit content and outside participation to preserve the ethical value and professional principles of operation structure, maintain a platform for interaction and information. Join us as we explore trending topics in news, politics, sports, business, education, faith, and the people, places, graces, creating a ripple in the surface of the big country. Your host of Everything West Texas, streaming on all major podcast platforms for your listening and viewing fulfillment, the investment professional and editor-in-chief, Mr. Floyd Miller. And where the cotton grows and the oil flows, here's Everything West Texas. Hello, my name is Floyd Miller, and I'm the host of It's Everything West Texas. I am glad to be here today. We have a speaker that is going to be bringing us a subject that to me is phenomenal. It's amazing. It's a subject that we've probably all thought about a little bit, but maybe don't know a whole lot about. And the topic that is going to be discussed today is where neuroscience meets theology. Isn't that a uh, fascinating thought? The individual that is going to be uh, delivering this conversation, a message to us today, is Dr. Ben Gray, where neuroscience meets theology. His research helps traumatize women find a greater sense of well-being through Scripture and science. The principles we discuss will be part of a woman's ministry called Heart and Hope that Dr. Gray plans to introduce to the Abilene community this fall. So at this time, I would like to say to Dr. Ben Gray, welcome to everything West Texas, Dr. Gray. Floyd, you're very kind, and thank you for this invitation. Well, I am glad that you are here, and I think that you have some credentials to speak on this subject, and I'd like to just share with our audience uh, some of your journey. Uh, Dr. Gray has been a college professor for 15 years in the field of interpersonal and organizational communications. He's also spent another 15 years as director of educational services in healthcare, director of outcome research for psychiatric services, and outcome studies for clinical pastoral education. And so, Dr. Gray, before we really delve into this subject of neuroscience, this neuroscience, that's a pretty big word. Could you kind of break down what we are actually talking about? Floyd, that's a great question to begin. And if you take if you take the word neuroscience and separate it, neuro means it means uh, the brain. Science is the study of the brain. 
So you put those together, and neuroscience really is a study of the brain and how it functions. Okay, so we've got the brain, we have the mind, yes. we have the soul. So yeah. is there any difference between the brain and the mind? I think most people see those as, as one. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Well, Floyd, you wouldn't be the, the first or the last to be puzzled by this connection. And I, too, had to uh, think and research more about the differences between these two terms and yet how they meet. They're sort of like kissing cousins. You can't have one without the other. And yet it has its own unique and distinct role. I guess what I would say is if I were to make a a uh, an example or an analogy between the mind and the brain, I would use the uh, example of going to hear a symphony. And while we're sitting in our seats, we'll notice that there are sections of music and the musicians are playing their instruments, blowing horns, uh, using a violin, uh, stringed instruments and horns. And all of that is rather chaotic. If you're sitting there, it doesn't make any sense. But it's somewhat entertaining. But it's unstructured, and it has no direction. Then in walks the conductor. And as he steps on the platform, the musicians stop what they're doing. He raises the baton and then takes the baton and points to one specific section to play. And then the rhythm starts with his left hand. And then he'll take the baton and point to another section of the orchestra, and then they will play. And he increases the volume and decreases the volume. So with that brief analogy, what I'd say is the brain functions like the orchestra. It plays the music. The conductor directs the music when it gets louder to get softer. The conductor doesn't play the instrument. The conductor is leading the music to find the rhythm. And therefore, if you don't have a conductor, the brain is pretty much willy-nilly. It just goes on its own path. And if, if a... If a conductor didn't have a symphony, we really wouldn't have music. <laughs> right. So I, I guess you that seems to be a pretty good comparison. So when the conductor is in place, uh-huh. uh, it, it, the, the brain is a beautiful thing yeah. when everything yeah. goes as yeah, it should. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Now, if I were to get technical, if I were to move away from the analogy, which you you point to very well, if I were point to the mechanics of the process, it would be the brain is measurable, it's observable, um, you can see it, um, and that's really one of the key features about a a brain. It's observable. The mind, however, is not observable. We sense it. It's like the wind. We know the wind is there, 
We can't account for it, but the mind has a mind of its own. But it's not as measurable as the brain is. So if you were to pull apart the skull and put it back, you could look inside and see what's there. And so that's that's what the brain would look like. You can touch it. You can probe it. But it's the mind that controls that brain. Well, Dr. Gray, you are getting into some pretty in-depth uh, <laughs> things. So I'm going to ask you, are yeah. you are you a neuroscientist? Well, uh, no. I am a researcher. This gives me a chance to create a, some disclaimer about the topic and the discussion we're going to have today. Uh, I'm a retired teacher or professor, and I've always been curious about the functioning of our mind and brain. And I wanted to find ways to apply some of the principles of neuroscience to women who've experienced trauma, either emotionally, physically, or sexually. But the second disclaimer that I have is when I began to do research on this topic, I find myself looking through a glass darkly. There's a scripture on that. It's like we can't see everything. And so I can't see everything about neuroscience. And the the truth of the matter is that No one knows everything about neuroscience. We grasp parts of that and of neuroscience. And also the truth is that much of the brain is still still in discovery. And we're learning more about the brain every day. So it's not a frozen entity, which makes it interesting and dynamic, man. So maybe... Maybe the brain is the last frontier out there well, to conquer. I don't that know. That is that that could be true because it's ever growing and 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 forming, and so we learn more about it each day. But the third uh, factor for a disclaimer is you may be familiar with the term the MRI, the magnetic resonance resonance imaging, yes. which gives you pictures of the brain. And it has the ability to create little small, thin strips you can put up on a wall and see the gray area and see what a slide looks like. Well, that discovery of the MRI is what really helped us move our discussion from neuroscience as a philosophy into a relatively uh, – into a science, uh, into a relatively short period of time. It went from philosophy to a hardcore science and the MRI was the key invention that allows folks to look into the brain and measure such things such as what's before and what's after. Then you can compare differences. Okay, Dr. Gray, I would like for you to maybe break this down into two different categories for us. Maybe, first of all, let's go a little more into the concepts of this neuroscience. You've been sharing some of that with us, but if we could go a little deeper into that. And then after that, I mean, I am really interested in how this neuroscience (laughs) and scripture all tie in together. That was was unexpected and delightful. And And that adventure caused me to move into areas I'd never expected, which was, to me, it brought fresh air. Wow. But okay, I'll go back. Let me rewind the tape and say, here are some basic concepts that I found about neuroscience, and I'll try to, I'll try to uh, use this as an educational point 
to help us point to a better understanding of what we've learned, what has been learned by scientists and researchers in this area. Okay. So I'll start with saying uh, the first one is called uh, brain circuitry. Now, you may remember some years ago, people would talk about left brain and right brain. And the left brain is in charge of uh, the logic portion. Uh, you go left brain to right hand. And so it's logic analytical. Uh, the right hand side of the brain controls the left arm. It actually crisscrosses. So, and they would call your right hand, you're either right brained or left brained. And if you're right brain, they would say that's the creative side. That's the one where you think differently than other people. Well, that helped to explain to some extent the nature of the brain until research came along and said, eh, it's not exactly that way. What they did find, however, was that the brain operated more as a comprehensive circuit with a circuit board. And when activated, it goes all the way around the brain, top, bottom, left, and right, into kind of a circuitry area, creating a circuit. And so it's not fair to say that reasoning is only on the left brain, our reasoning is on only the right brain. Actually, the circuits kind of go around the brain and activate individual parts, so you get more of a comprehensive perspective on what's being described or discussed or what's being thought. Well, you mentioned kind of circuitry. I mean, I think about electricity or something of that nature. What would cause the brain to misfire? Mm. Mm. Well, there'll be a number of things for that, Floyd. Um, the first is trauma has a way of impacting the, the structure of the brain. And when trauma is introduced, it basically cuts the wiring or it shorts the wiring from one portion of the brain to another, making it difficult for the brain to process. I guess I describe that like um, sticking... Um, sticking a, a knife into an electrical socket. And when that happens, you notice there's always smoke and yes. sparks that come out of it. Yes. Well, trauma does that to our brain, and it compromises the neuro, neurological connections that are there. So that's, that's one thing that's major about how the brain gets short-circuited and damaged. Oh, wow. And this, another one is... Uh, if, for someone who takes uh, drugs that are um, illegal, um, that has a way of compromising the brain structure as well. So trauma and medication uh, overdoses have a way of impacting the brain. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, the, the second term that I would kick out is what's called neuroplasticity. And that's the discovery that our brain is not fixed. It's organic. It's growing. It's evolving. Our brain is like a soft tissue with plastic properties and um, as opposed to being like a hard stucco. So it's malleable. It's formable. And uh, so age, disease, and medications are factors that impact the plasticity of the brain. 
So as we learn and grow, our brain gets larger, especially if you're young, to fill the skull. The skull expands. The brain will, will follow that kind of expansion. So the brain is growing. Um, and it's, it's just fascinating to, to think about our brain as, as a living organism that's not fixed. It really is. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> okay. And so the idea that you really can teach an old dog new tricks, well, that's true. You really can. Wow. Well, the, the third term that comes to mind is, is interesting, and it's called a neurological pathway. And that's a discovery that in our brain, our thoughts are like a microscopic fiber, little, small, thin microscopic strands here that uh, increase when a thought is repeated. So it starts out as a thought, which is very microscopic. And if the thought is repeated, it repeats itself like a wire going around it. And if that's repeated again, another wire goes to it. It repeated again, another wire goes to it. So pretty soon, after a period of time, a thought begins to be enlarged. And over a period of time, if you do that, it's like becoming a cable. And that pathway has gone from a strand to a cable. Um, and the expression is that neurons that are wired together fire together. That has an upside as well as a downside. How could you explain a little bit upside or downside? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, okay. This is a good question, Floyd. <laughs> okay. The the upside is a pathway helps us to remember something. And if repeated over a period of time, repeating, it creates a strong neurological circuit, a pathway in the in our brain. And it helps us to recall something like uh, music or a thought or a phrase or a saying. That neurological pathway is creating a groove in the brain structure so that it kind of moves very quickly from one side to the other. In fact, what happens is you can start an idea and stop, and a person's brain will have the ability to go in and capture the last half of it to speak, even though you're not thinking about it. Thy word have I hidden in my heart. Wow. I mean, if I got old and I couldn't remember it, if I couldn't remember it exactly very quickly, the the brain has the ability to make that connection for me without thinking. And that happens as we get older, but also it happens when we are younger as well. So that's that's kind of what happens with the, the neurological pathway. And I said um, the downside. Are you ready for this? Let me hear it. Okay. The, the audience is probably waiting. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is an unfortunate side effect of a neurological pathway. And this this helps us better understand the neuroscience of pornography. Now, what happens with pornography is, as a young man would look at pornography, it creates an electrical charge that comes from deep portion of our brain and immediately creates an impression where that circuit board goes ding, 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 ding. It's pleasurable. Uh, it's, um, it's, it is a pathway that's there. Now, if a young man does that at an early age and repeats that through adolescence, 
and then into adulthood, pornography becomes ingrained in the brain. So, and then the, the great challenge is, what do you do about that? And the uh, that's a complex question. It's a complex answer. But the bottom line on that is those thoughts can be replaced. If there's if the mind is willing, it can replace what the brain has done. That's as simple as I can put it. But there is hope for a damaged brain that is impacted neurologically by pornography. Uh, that's great to hear that there is hope. There is. There is. Therapy is part of that. And uh, scripture is part of that. So that's that's what um, that's what we can say about a neurological pathway, and then the the final term that I'm going to kick out to you is called ruminate. And what ruminate means is it's the discovery that our negative thoughts are willingly and consciously repeated, thereby creating a deeper p- uh, pathway. If I go back and and think about a childhood trauma, the more I think about that, the stronger the neurons are, and I'm making it more difficult to break. So I'm making choices about ruminating. It is the conscious um, repetition of a negative or hurtful thought that is uh, part of our neurological system. That's what ruminating does. So part of the dilemma that a therapist has is um, asking the client to speak to their pain. So that calls the brain to go back and to look at that and ruminate very carefully about what that memory is. But then the, the therapist, a trained therapist, will leave that and venture into the future. So what else? Where do we go from there as opposed to accentuating the rumination? So without coaxing, without coaching, without therapy, it's very natural to go back and to embellish or to uh, remember something that is harmful or hurtful. And that's where you need a professional to help break that path so that ruminating doesn't occur. And, and one of the very simple ways you can do that, if, if I'm listening to someone who's ruminating and I've heard this story before, all I have to say is, so where are you now? Tell me about now. So neuroscience is also designed to help us create choices. And a therapist helps us to redirect our thinking. That is a mind function. It is a conductor. It is taking the mind from the hurt into possibilities. And that's where, that's where ministry is, and that's where hope is, and that's where well-being is. And So it, 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 you don't have to be a psychiatrist to uh, ask someone the question, so where are you now? You know, when I hear you say that, it it makes me think back um, to the Dr. Field show. And, you know, sometimes yeah. Dr. Field will ask the question, well, yeah. well how is that working for yeah, exactly. you? Exactly. Yeah. How is, that, how is that past helping you right now? And that is a great example of, of changing the focus and moving from the pain into a promise. Yeah, that, that's a great example, Floyd. Well, Dr. Gray, I appreciate you um, giving our audience um, a definition on some of these words because I think it'll help them understand the part that we are going into um, at the top of this discussion. You said that you would be talking about neuroscience and how it meets with theology. And so I'm yeah. really interested yeah. <laughs> in, in getting to that part of it. Well, 
that to me came as a complete surprise. And yet after I discovered this, I thought, there are a host of passages that reflect the learning of science. And so I became more comfortable in the marriage between these two. And uh, the body of research that does this is called neurotheology, which is how the mind and the concept of theology blend together. There aren't many people who write to that, but that's the way I would phrase it. So this discovery is on neurotheology, how science, the findings of science, and our, our, our mind and brain begin to impact and help us to better explain and understand some scripture verses. So without doing that much more, I'm just going to dive into it. All right, let's go, let's go. You've been waiting for this, Floyd. Yes, I have. <laughs> okay, here we go. I'm going to begin this, uh, this linking the neuroscience to Scripture, by quoting a very familiar passage from Ecclesiastes 1.9. This is where I began. That is, really, there's nothing new under the sun. So all that science is telling us about is not new. It's also laden in Scripture. You just have to find it. It's there. Okay. That's true for this discussion. I'll give you some examples. All right. From a neurological perspective, did you know that our thinking drives our attitude and our thinking drives our behavior? Therefore, we're significantly impacted by our thinking. That's what neuroscience says. Well, from a scriptural perspective, that is not new. If I look at Proverbs uh, 23.7, it says, as a man thinketh, so is he. I've got a question on that. So that scriptures say, as a man thinketh. Uh-huh. So is he, uh, to me, that kind of tells me that may, maybe we ought to be very careful about uh, what we think. Yeah, absolutely. And there's another passage, which is guard every thought. If we therefore guard every thought, it will move us away from unhealthy comments and statements that we give ourselves or we give others. And so our thinking drives our attitude. Our thinking drives our behavior. But at the core fundamental part of both of those is our thinking. And so Scripture is clear about that. As a man thinketh, what you're thinking about, you will be, based upon your attitude, which is found on thinking, based upon your behavior. So if you guard your heart for every thought that comes in, you're really on a strong path for well-being. So maybe we need to... Literally, kind of think about having a guardrail uh, up or something to keep us from uh, keep us from going too far. There you go. Wow, that's a great image. What if we were to have guardrails? Well, that's where Scripture comes in. The best way I can describe that is our uh, Scripture helps provide guardrails and a shield against stupid stuff that we hear and that we accept without examination. So that's that's kind of the way I would look at it. Your guardrail is a good example. I think another uh, neurological perspective is, did you know that our brain has a capacity to prune its damaged portions and create new cells on a daily basis? Basically, it's our body's ability to restore itself. Now, that's what science says, and that's true. That is true not only within our brain cells, it's also true with our skin. We have flakes of skin that fall off, and our skin, the second layer, will grow Scan to cover it. In our heart, it's called autogenesis, which means the the body has the ability automatically to create newness. So if there is a, a blood vessel that goes haywire or gets blocked, 
You can have little tributaries to go around that blockage and still function and not know it. One of the most incredible images I ever saw was at Hendrick Medical Center when a friend of mine, a chaplain there, Price Matheson, had a difficulty with his arm. He couldn't swing his golf club anymore. That's, so, that's, not, that's difficult. I mean, that's now. difficult. So I went to visit Price, and when I looked, when I, he said, I want to show you this x-ray. And so he showed me the x-ray, and there was the, the block just sure as all get out. And then there was a cluster of little veins that went around it, did a workaround to go to the rest of his hand so that the arm and shoulder could function and work itself around the block. Therefore, that is, a, that is an example of um, uh, a heart regenerating itself. And science doesn't know jack about how to regenerate. It, it simply tries to explain what else is going on. But here, here's a scripture that I, I saw, and it made me really think, and that is this regeneration uh, is, is not new. There's a scripture that says, Behold, I am doing something new. And it's like, it's been going on. I just didn't see it. I didn't recognize the power of healing. I didn't recognize newness being created. I just kind of take it for granted. And all of a sudden, wow, this is an awesome God we serve that builds us in such a unique and dynamic way. And so there is hope for all of these people, all of, I should say, uh-huh. all of us. Yeah that might have trauma or, yep. or anything yes. else, Yes, there is hope. You got it. You got it. Well, the third uh, principle or perspective I found is the essence of neuroscience is our brain creating a multitude of choices at any given moment. We have choices about where we want to direct our attention. Well, that's what the mind does. The mind helps direct choices we make. But the brain's purpose is to generate options. It has a function of thinking differently. And our mind works at the direction, uh, is impacted by the choices we make. Or you'd say choices are impacted by our mind thinking. And so I, 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 there are so many different passages to choose from this, okay. which is a great, great opportunity to look into. But from a spiritual perspective or scriptural, it is... Now choose life. Every day in our mind, between our ears, we have this capacity to look at a road to see two different ways to go. And we have the choice of either choosing a darker path or we can choose a lighter path. And Scripture helps me in the Old Testament. It says, choose life. Why not? Choose life. So despite what might be going on in a person's life, how difficult uh-huh. that day is, uh-huh. they still have a choice yes. to choose yes. something that's going yes. to be better or to yes. stay in the old path. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's the way it works, Floyd. We have choices every day. And sometimes when <clears> – recently I was with someone who got very angry about something, very angry. And I listened to all of that, and I was impacted by their anger. And I, I said to myself, you know, I'm not going to allow that negative thought to have any more parking, parking space in my brain. I'm, no more free parking for stupid stuff. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> no more free parking in my brain. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's the deal. It's, it's uh, choices. And we have choices. 
Another uh, neurological perspective is our brain creates competing thoughts about how we view ourselves and respond to others. And that's, that's really what happens with our brain. It will create, it'll create when, the brain, when the brain response is saying, is there another way of looking at this? Can I see this differently? Well, and then we'll find ourselves competing thoughts of how we view ourselves and others. The scripture that I found is to say, what that thought is is not new. And, and Paul was my first writers that I, I, I think I connected to scripture when I heard this passage in Romans, and men especially can can put a hold, can anchor into this one. Why is it that I do the things I shouldn't do, but I don't do the things I should be doing? Romans seven fifteen. Well, that is a great example of scripture that addresses neurological options and choices. We're making bad choices, and Paul says, "Why is it that I?" I, I don't—why is it that I don't do those things I really need to be doing, and I don't do those things that I should be doing? That is, that is neuroscience straight out. That's probably a question for the ages. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as long as we have a brain, it is, Floyd, that is a question of the ages for sure. I'm going to give you one more of these and just kind of, kind of move toward— uh, Closing on this, the neurological perspective is that that thoughts are stored in long-term memory, but they can be recalled later if they're linked to music. Example: We got short-term memory and long-term memory, but long-term memory is one of those kind of things. I know you. You're Floyd Miller. I see you at Kiwanis. You're a good guy. I know that about you. Let's say if I were to have any brain damage for a while and I couldn't recognize you and I got old and you came to see me in a nursing home, I may not recognize you, but if you start singing Amazing Grace, I will move my lips to Amazing Grace. I may not vocalize it, but I know that song. I know that song, and I can come along with you. Furthermore, if another implication of this is for music therapy, in nursing homes, it is people may not be able to speak or sing, but they can take a baton or a, a drumstick and tap the desk and keep rhythm, keep because they know what the rhythm is. They know how to follow the rhythm. So the secret to life is finding the rhythm and maintaining the rhythm. Life is a matter of finding the rhythm and keeping the rhythm. So you know that there is neurological functioning when they're tapping and making making a joyful noise, and I consider that to be uh, uh, to be amazing. And there's another part that's very exciting about that, and that is when you take scripture or a thought and put it to music, it can go into your brain for long term learning. It may be useless, but it can be recalled. For instance. As a kid, I'd watch television when it was black and white, no less. Okay. <laughs> this is before color time. And it was, you wonder where the yeller went when you brush your teeth with? Let me see. I'm trying to think which one it <laughs> I probably didn't have the TV. It's Pepsodent. Pepsodent. Yeah, yeah, there you got it. Yeah, okay. Now does it come back? Yeah. Now, watch this. You wonder where the yeller went when you brush your teeth with? Pepsodent. There you go. Right. Well, just a few seconds ago, you couldn't. Pull that up. Uh, but you did in short-term memory. But music has a way of taking the words 
and moving them forward and positing that in a deeper portion of your brain. Now, a lady that I I met online uh, was writes uh, was a, teaches children to learn Bible verses, memory verses. She took the entire book of Corinthians and put it to music, and she would teach children the verses of the scripture in the book of Corinthians by singing a song, and then they would sing the song with her. That gentle flow will go into a child's brain just like a commercial and be able to pull that out. She made a, a video on that, and she she practices this and does worldwide presentations on memory Scripture with music and it, how it impacts a child's brain. That has some interesting implications, the role and power of music. Well, the scriptural, get this, the scriptural perspective is to say, thy word have I hidden in my heart. Come on. Yeah. Thy word have I hidden in my heart. It's been repeated so many times. It's in our our memory. We can call it up. Now, I'll ask you this question. Get ready, Floyd. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> what does psalm mean? It's songs. 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 So can you imagine psalms being written and sung, which helps people to recall the promises of God? And in some in some uh, versions of the Bible, you'll find over in the left-hand side to be played with, and it will have the musical instrument. I never paid any attention to that, and I didn't really think of it in terms of psalms or really songs, uh, but they're really songs that are put to music. And so if if in those days you didn't really have anything to write with, you could remember the song because it was being sung. It's just a glorious way. There's a even now when I, I came before coming over here, I listened to a a a, a song entitled "Oceans." It is profound. The writing is just so impactful, and then. Uh, for it to be put to music resonates in my soul, my spirit, and it, it makes a divine connection. Therefore, praise and worship music and singing uh, hymns, all of those are designed to capture the essence of God and place it in our brain. Well, you know, Dr. Gray, this has been a phenomenal, I guess I'll call it an interview, but uh also a phenomenal learning experience. And if somebody has heard this interview today and wanted to learn more about this neuroscience and theology and how it all works together, uh, can you point them in some direction? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. First of all, Floyd, the truth is that I'm scratching the surface. I mean, I've only been into this for like two and a half years I'm scratching the surface and can continue to discover. And as I share with people what I know, they will come to me and say, well, there's another passage of Scripture that helps to support that, and that helps me to learn more. And the, before I go to the resources, there's one other phrase I want to I bring up and put on the table, and that comes from Psalm 139.14. Thank you, 
for making me so wonderfully complex. Nothing simple about who we are. It is complex, and I'm thankful for that. For being made, being made is a complex person. Yes. And it causes me to discover something new about my bride, the world around me, and people that I interact with. I'm discovering something new. I have to look for it, but it's there. Okay. So you're asking, what else is there, and, and where can I find more information about it? Well, the obvious place to go where I started was I Google. I went on Google. And I would just Google the topic, and there's and I'd hit that, and there's an array of topics and subjects that would come up. So I would copy some of those and put into my library of findings, thoughts, and so forth, put in there. But so Google research helps to look at the scientific aspect of it, and you can also look at the article and run down the bottom of it, and there's a bibliography. And it will cite the sources that are there. And so if there's something that's interesting in that article you just read, go to the bibliography and find that article. That's sort of like um, going at the base of a tree and it got a tap root. Well, Google is like a tap root. And then it has little feeler feeler uh, 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 roots that come off of it. And you can your bibliography can help. But I will say... I, now I want to give you practical. Okay. But again, I'm a researcher, and I look for that crazy deep stuff. But now, in a practical way, there are two writers that I have found to be interesting, and the women's ministry uh, really is uh, some of the cornerstone pieces of the ministry is found in a book written by Caroline Leaf, and her book is entitled Switch On Your Brain. Switch it on. Switch your brain on. And this is a switch on your on your brain every day. And in that, she has 365 readings to help your thinking and your health. And so it's a it's a section that is very easy to follow. And she will highlight uh, a tip for the scripture and then explain it. It's wonderful. A book that has come out just recently is by is entitled Winning the War in Your Mind. Remember I, we talked about the war that's in our mind? Yes. Well, there's a battle that's going on, and that battle is fought twice. That battle, is first of all, is fought on the battlefield itself, and the second battle is a daily battle between your ears. It's the second battle that takes its toll, perhaps more deeply and devastating than the original event itself. And so this book by Craig Groeschel is entitled Winning the War in Your Mind. It's like how to get on the other side of the battle that's between your ears. I found it helpful. I would encourage people. If you don't know where to go, I would start there and go to his bibliography and see what's there. But those are three areas to pursue to help help discover the, uh, the beauty of your mind. Well, Dr. Gray, again, I want to... Thank you for being on the program. May God uh, bless your work as you work with women uh, this fall. You're very kind. Thank you, Floyd. This podcast has been sponsored by the West Texas Tribune and Floyd Miller Investments. Securities and investment advisory services offered through FSC Securities Corporation, FSC member FINRA SIPIC, FSC is separately owned and other entities 
and our marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of FSC. Floyd Miller can be reached at 3300 South 14th Street, Suite 100, Abilene, Texas, or by phone at 325-676-0138.